welcome back to the Movie Babble podcast. It has been a little bit, but um, October has been a busy month for movies, so we have been obviously busy watching all those movies, <laughs> or at least we've been trying to. Uh, it's me, Brennan, today hosting, and I'm here with Nick. How's it going? Sir, good to be back. With so many movies, so little time. Yeah, and, and the month isn't even over, and it's going to get busier. Um, but yeah, we have a lot to talk about this uh, week. So obviously the main topic today will be Dune, but we are going to touch on some of the other biggies of October, including Halloween Kills, The Last Duel, and No Time to Die. Now let's quickly jump into Dune's uh, Sunday box office returns. And this is a, quite a sight to see for um, Warner. Uh, they report $40 million for the weekend here domestically for Dune. Obviously, the movie dropped uh, five weeks ago in most markets. Uh, Europe and the Middle East, it, it dropped in September. And now it's kind of starting to branch out into Asia, um, Latin America, and obviously North America this weekend. So $40 million here this weekend in North America, a little bit above estimates, definitely on the high end of estimates, um, and now up to 220 worldwide, which considering you know the subject matter, considering uh, the HBO Max uh, day and date here in the U.S., that's pretty impressive. Um, you also have to consider um, the $40 million here is the best for a Warner Bros. opening since Joker, as well as just the best for a day and date for Warner Bros. Uh, throughout their kind of experiment this year. So I think it's a win overall. Yeah, I think we're definitely getting that Dune sequel, right? Because it's 160 budget and you got to figure Warner's being a, more, a little more lenient in terms of what their returns on these movies are for green lighting other stuff and um i mean we'll get to do it in a second but you watch that and i it's kind of one half of a movie but you can't really deny how successful it is in a lot of different areas so my guess is we'll probably see that sometime soon i, I would imagine maybe sometime this week warner says they're coming out or they're going to get cracking on the second one so um i guess good job on them because this is kind of a beast to tackle in terms of all the mythology involved with this so the fact that it's even moderately successful to the degree it is is kind of amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, this also just points to, I think, just how well the marketing did for this movie. Um, this is something that is obviously on HBO Max. We've seen the depressed openings for movies that are day and date. Um, obviously, Warner has said they're going to be looking at HBO Max as well. They want to see the, the online uh, streaming numbers. They want to see the box office. They want to see both before they jump into a sequel. But the movie has been doing very well in Europe uh, ever since September. Um, the numbers have been really good over there. I think it's like, at one point it was Russia's best opening weekend of the year, Taiwan's uh, best opening weekend of the year um, in Asia. Uh, it had great numbers in France until No Time to Die overtook it. Um, but it was doing really strong, and now it comes here, and $40 million is impressive. It also just further highlights what we've been seeing in October, which is kind of a really big step towards a box office recovery. Uh, obviously, last May, when we started seeing uh, movies come out in a more normal sense, um, starting with uh, the May 2-4 weekend there with Cruella and uh, Quiet Place Part 2, it had been a slow crawl to getting kind of back to where numbers were pre-pandemic. They aren't there yet, but every month since May, we've seen significant jumps. May was around 25% box office revenue of what it was in 2019. Every month it's gone up, and October is set to be 80 or so percent of what it was in 2019, which is, they said, that's where they need to be to sustain. So it's it's we're seeing recovery, and uh, we don't know what the actuals will be on Dune tomorrow. It might be under 40, but if it stays on the plus side of 40, that's four straight weekends 
with a $40 million opening, uh, starting with Venom 2, No Time to Die, Halloween Kills, and now Dune. So the recovery is coming along. Yeah, and it's, you know, COVID cases are on the decline again. Who, who knows what will happen there, right? Um, but yeah, there's more movies coming out. Like Eternals is coming. Um, what is it? Red Notice? That's a Netflix movie is coming out. But that's going to be a big one. Ghostbusters. Um, Clifford the Big Red Dog. I don't know. <laughs> um, but there's just there's a lot of big awards movies coming out too. So my, my guess is there there will be a continued increase or kind of a like a leveling off to at movies movie capacities, which is... It's nice to see, you know. Movies are fun. I like going to the movie theater. <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world. So, yeah, this is all very, very good news. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, very good news indeed. Um, also, just more some more box office news. No Time to Die has crossed the $500 million mark worldwide. It's up to five twenty-five. dollars um, This movie has been a beast overseas, just an absolute beast. There was a reason Warner dropped Dune in September before uh, overseas before... Uh, no Time to Die came out, because it has just been kind of dominating uh, global box offices, mostly in Europe. Um, it's it's the highest grossing movie of the year in Europe, Africa, and the Middle East, I believe, um, trailing a bit behind F9 in Latin America and Asia. Um, but it's a, it's a beast for sure. And you look at the numbers in, in the UK alone. So this movie has $525 million now, over $100 million in the UK alone. Like, I mean, I, I knew Bond was big over there. Uh, Skyfall's the second highest grossing movie all time. Spectre's third. It's like their kind of uh, Avengers, if you will. <laughs> um, but it really is a big deal that this movie's doing that well there. Uh, just insane numbers. And the fact that I think this is the fourth week now that do uh, that No Time to Die has been playing in theaters in the UK. And the numbers aren't quite out yet, but it may have beat Dune. So it, it scathed off uh, Venom, uh, Halloween, maybe even Dune. It just has great resilience over there. And it's also impressive because this is what by far the longest Bond movie too, so less less shown times per day and all that. So I think there was that report that came out when there was that they were trying to shop this around to Apple and whatnot that it had to break was it like seven seven hundred million to nine hundred million to break even on this. So if you're looking at that, it's got a ways to go, but um, you, it's one of the, by far one of the better performing movies even of the year. You know, so it's. It had all the cards stacked against it, so uh, it's just—it's very impressive in that sense. And I, yeah, like I said, I imagine it's just going to keep doing really well overseas. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, for me, uh, the moment I read that article about the what they needed to break even, I just said, let's throw expectations out the window. Like I don't know if they can yeah. even try to hit that, but the numbers are solid right now, and they still have two more markets left: China and Australia, which are generally solid markets for bond especially australia but that should be a good bump in the next few weeks as well um so that's no time to die and just a final update here we have a new uh leader at the 2021 box office and that is the chinese um korean war film the battle at lake chongjin which is past hi mom another chinese film it's up to over 820 million dollars now and it's really chugging along so dune picked up a 22 million dollar opening in china this weekend that is second to this film's fourth weekend. So this movie has had legs in China, and it's continuing to make money. Um, and it, they, they really are the number one market on the world now. You gonna be checking this movie out? <laughs> I mean, I heard it's pretty cool in IMAX, but no are one's more playing of, near are me. Are you more of a Detective Chinatown three kind of guy? I think I'm more of a High Mom guy. Back to the Future guys. <laughs> next next week we're just breaking down all the Chinese movies. That's yeah. What we're gonna do. Yeah. 
get pirates of all of them and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's still insane, though, how much money this thing's making. Like, it's it, it's wild. Um, apparently, there were, there were major reports of... Uh, it, it came out over a uh, holiday period a couple weeks ago, and that was kind of the big... A big kind of uh, boom for it. Apparently, made 170 million opening weekend or something like that. Crazy, yeah. It's we're kind of been moving towards this for a couple years now, but I feel like in the early 2010s, there were so many Hollywood movies that kind of catered towards the Chinese market to get the international gross. But now we've seen more times than not where China is kind of prioritizing their own um, productions and. Over, over there and kind of you see like obviously with the news with Dune this week so I'm curious if this is just going to continue or or what because it feels like I mean it's like what the battle of Lake Schengen was like the, the most expensive Chinese movie ever made right mm-hmm. so I feel like you're going to continue to see stuff like this where I don't know if the Chinese market will be as reliable for a lot of these Hollywood movies anymore so I don't know something to think about yeah I agree uh, we saw Free Guy kind of find success there earlier but nothing near success like this like it's not pulling out hundreds of millions of dollars in china like that is it's crazy but yeah i think you're right we'll we'll definitely see this trend to continue and now let's get to the fun part though which is talking about these movies so we're going to start from obviously the top here with dune um we both saw it at the movies over the weekend um for me i i quite enjoyed this thing i thought it was a wonderful experience but it was also really surreal because i had been so excited for this thing for for so long um tried to get on early to get the tickets for tiff to go see it but yeah they were sold out very fast so that was definitely uh, out of the cards but i was there thursday night first showing in the imax screen it was amazing um i have definitely a few gripes with the film and uh, i do want to check it out again um but it's it's certainly a spectacle and uh i think it's something that sci-fi fans have been wanting for a while i'll say i'll say that i think it's it's a the type of movie that has kind of been missing from uh our kind of film slate uh, as of late and i'm glad we have it yeah i i think a lot of it about this movie similarly to like lord of the rings movies where it's it's hard mythology that's taken very seriously and it has like a like a lot of respect and reverence for the for like the source material and um yeah it's just it's really impressive it's i don't know like I would I would tell nobody to watch this on HBO Max. Like it's just a different movie. You know, this is all about seeing it on the biggest screen as possible, seeing all that spice on the on like a massive screen, all those big worms. Because it's just it's crazy. There's the entire like action sequence in the middle of this movie that I feel like goes on for like ten hours, but it's so good. It's so so good. It's all widescreen and amazing. It's it's kind of like creepy as well. I don't know how Villeneuve pull that off but it's just it truly is like one of the most impressive spectacle movies that i've ever seen like i've you look there's some shots in this where like i've never seen this in a movie before it's it's so crazy it's just so impressive yeah no for sure um it's from the moment the movie opened too i think uh, you heard the the harkonnen that really deep voice uh over the screen before the warner bros logo come on and then uh the movie kicks in with what I think was a pretty strong opening. Definitely an opening that was um, very composition heavy, just kind of throwing stuff at you. But I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it is it it is a fun film to watch in, in theaters for sure. It, it's kind of what, in my opinion, 
the, the theater experience is made for. Like I, I'm sure it'll translate well at home, and every good movie should be good in, in both right. locations. But it is a fun time to just sit back and just kind of, for the first time, just kind of kind of be washed away, kind of let this film wash over you in, in uh, a dark theater. Yeah, I really admire how this movie does not really hold your hand whatsoever in terms of um, just all of the buzzwords and the way like referencing all these different houses and all these all this political injury like it really just is it's we're, we're off to the races you know i feel like the zendaya um narration at the beginning i think is smart because for one it, it really is just an exposition dump to give you like the baseline information that you need to understand anything that's happening yeah, but you needed it we needed it for sure yeah but then it also wraps it into the dream that Chalamet has. So it works on a narrative level as well. But then after that, it's just people talking about all these, like all these politics about around all these crazy worlds and you're off. And I was like, for the first like 15 minutes, I was struggling. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, what is going on? What are these people talking about? And it's like, it's like Harkonnen. Like I, I see, like I didn't watch the, the David Lynch movie. Didn't read the book. Like this is first Dune for me. Um, and you, you just hear all these buzzwords. I'm like, is that like a, is that a food? Is that a person? I'm like, what, like what is, what is happening? And then, and then, uh, you catch on to it and that, that's not no fault in the movie either. Like you, it's just, it's definitely speaking its own language in a sense. And it's, um, it really is, it's cool. It really feels like it's immediately, it feels like this timeless movie. You know, it's, I mean, it's takes place, takes place on what? 10,191. Is that the year it takes place? Something right? like that. So it's. Way often in the future, the technology, it's its like a interesting blend of like old world, like architecture and advanced technology. So it really feels like it's out of time. And then it's just, it's, it feels like a movie that will play for years. It just, it looks great. It's, there's no, it's just, a, it's just, it just works. It just, it's really impressive on that technical level. Yeah, I agree. Um, I quite love, I mean, obviously we knew the cast was going to be great. Um, you don't see as much of them as you think you would with just, I mean, there's just so many people in this film. For me, it was a two and a half hour movie, but it felt like I could have sat there for much longer. And I felt like a lot of the character moments could have been drawn out more. Um, I found, uh, obviously, when, when you're looking at the spectacle, when, when he's trying to give you those money shots and the nice visuals, he takes his time with it, as he always does. Um, but with the character moments, I think they're a little too quick. For me, I would like to see a little bit more of a drawn-out um, uh, connection between some of these characters. I know that it already is two and a half hours, but it's it's definitely something that I think um, will benefit it whenever a part two comes out, I hope. Um, but that's one of the issues I had with it personally, that I just felt I needed a bit more time with these characters. Uh, and I I think on a second watch, I'll, I'll pick it up more. I think the first watch is really just me wanting to watch everything on the screen unfold. Maybe the second watch, it'll, it'll be better um, in terms of the character moments, but I definitely wanted to see a bit more there. Yeah, it's. I feel like it was not a stretch to say that this is barely a movie and we, on, on like a script level. Like, it's it's half of the story, right? And it's takes it's the first half of the book. And it's it's tough. That's why I'm kind of a little lower on it, even though I, I admire so much about this movie. But um, it's just, yeah, like you really can't, you have to reserve judgment until the second movie comes out, which is kind of lame, I feel like, because it doesn't really, on a character level, it really does not accomplish much. You know, it just, 
it gets you to the next place and then Zendaya is like this is only just the beginning and then the credits go you're like oh that's the end of the movie you know it's kind of it's very anticlimactic um but I am looking forward to part two because I feel like I would love to be able at some point to watch this all as mm-hmm. just like one long movie because I think you're right I think it would it would play a lot better and I'm really curious to see if this movie avoids some of the pitfalls of the source material because from what I understand this is very much a, a white savior uh, kind of story you know and you can see that in the movie too where Shalme is um, kind of like this chosen one he's Jesus basically um, and so I'm curious to see how they kind of navigate that through the second half of this movie and you can kind of yeah. see you can see like the seeds planted for that like oh no like please don't go <laughs> please don't go the wrong way with this but you also can't like, you don't really know what they're going to do with it because it's that's there's still so much story to tell so it's it's a weird thing where you can see positives and negatives kind of like you see those seeds planted in this first movie but you really you i think i don't know maybe they do something interesting within the second part i have no idea so it's yeah. kind of it's like a weird it's in a weird middle ground where you kind of just have to just sit there and wait for three years until the next movie comes out. <laughs> uh, hopefully they shoot next year. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, you know what I did? I do know that from the source material, you there's, there's definitely a subversion of expectations with the second part upcoming. I think uh, a lot of audiences will see that when it does come out. Um, hopefully it gets greenlit. I do think it's going to greenlit in a few days, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's something that, the, the author, uh, Frank Herbert, he's always been trying to be adamant on that uh, Timothy Chalamet's Paul Paul character. Very cool name for this world, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> um, so, so the white savior um, element is something that he kind of railed against after it came out. He wanted people to, to know this is a colonizer. This is like – so it, it's something right. that I think there will be a lot of subversion in, the, in part two um, from what you'd expect and – Maybe that's why part two, I don't know, It's it won't follow kind of your typical hero story, but uh, I, I do hope it comes out. Um, I don't know, all, all the signs point towards a uh, part two on the way. Yeah, it's definitely, there are, like, that's why I said, like, you just kind of have to wait to see what happens, you know, because apparently there are some changes to the book, but it's also very faithful, so we'll see. But, yeah, like, you can see where the comment on that character is there, because it's all of these kind of these white um kind of houses that are dominating this area that's like this this uh planet's full of minority characters you know the fremen they're called right so you can see that and they're dominating for trade and just just i guess intergalactic domination so you can see all that those political machinations rolling through this um really interesting i'm really curious to see what um, people who have read the book think so far but yeah it's just you know it's there's just so many things to come <laughs> really yeah um it's it's fun because even like with like stellan skarsgård he plays uh the baron who's uh, really good makeup by the way but he's only in this for what a few scenes but it's very clear that this is just he's going to play a bigger part later on and same with um batista who has like two scenes in this movie right he's barely in it um so you know they're they're very much they have all these cr- like really famous A-list actors and they're gonna the people you barely see are gonna play a bigger part and later on so it's you know it's it's a lot of really cool stuff and Nick Harvey Harvey Bardem's in this movie for two scenes right he's <laughs> he shows a up early too. on yeah he's I mean it's Javier Bardem right he's the best yeah. like so it's 
it really, it truly is, you kind of just, like I said, you just kind of have to wait, see what happens. Because it's all, it's, you can see all the wheels turning and things falling into motion, but they really haven't capitalized it on it, capitalized on it yet. So, yeah, it's just, we'll see what happens. Come back in three years. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, so just uh, moving away from Dune here, uh, we have another film that came out last weekend. Did quite well, a dual release with uh, in theaters and on Peacock's uh, premium tier level, and that is Halloween Kills. Um, Nick, I have not seen this one out of our movies we're going to chat about today, but you have, so and you just saw it too. Um, so what was your takeaways here from this sequel in this reboot trilogy or this rebranded trilogy? I don't know what to call it, but it is going to be a trilogy. Yeah, I think I feel like I've landed on calling it a remix. Because it's, mm. it's basically the same movies again, but kind of different. But, yeah, this movie sucks. It's really bad. Um, yeah, so I, I thought Halloween 2018 was a pretty fun movie. You know, it's it's basically Halloween again. Um, but they, you know, they um, got rid of all the sequels. They retconned literally every other movie except the original Halloween and just go straight from there. Which I thought, like, hey, if you're going to make... How many, I don't know how many Halloween movies there are at this point. Fourteen. Like if you're gonna, if you're if you're at this point, you gotta try stuff crazy stuff with the timeline and things like that. So I didn't mind that, and it was it was a fun movie. You know, you have uh, you have Jamie Lee Curtis being great and getting to just just and really I just love her character. I love Laurie Strode. She's a really fun character. You have some fun little quirky side characters that you, you care about. Like they have one scene and they do something weird and they die. You're like oh, I kind of feel bad for that person. Um, and like that's that's very much a like a David Gordon Green, the director. Like I feel like all of his movies, he really enjoys just these very odd side characters just doing stuff, uh, and then they die in this movie. Um, but yeah, so this Halloween Kills is kind of like I said, it's it's a remix of of the original well, Halloween Two. I guess this is Halloween Two Part Three. I don't know if you think of all the movies, but. Um, it happens the exact same night at the uh, after the events of the last movie, and um, yeah, it's like Laurie Strode goes back to the hospital again, like she does in Halloween Part Two, um, and then all hell breaks loose, and then Michael Myers kills some people, and then this movie really doesn't amount to stuff. It's basically it's almost like Dune, except not as epic, where it's really just a placeholder for more things to come later on. Uh, so it's it's hardly a movie at all, honestly. It's just. Michael Meyer kills some people, and then they bring back some very fringe characters from the original Halloween that you that you didn't care about uh, at all. Like they were just there, like like Anthony Michael Hall is in this movie, and he played a very bit part in the original, and um, he's back, and now his character is a big deal, and he's leading this mob of people in Haddonfield that try to kill Michael Myers, and it's just it's very stupid. It's very very <laughs> stupid. And like it tries this movie tries to do stuff with the mob mentality where it's like oh like that's bad you know and waves its wags its finger at you but it's just it feels like it's just buying its time and trying to pad out this runtime to make it an actual movie even though it isn't um, but yeah just like a lot of the stuff that these characters do it makes you just kind of hate them <laughs> it's just you kind of want Michael Myers to win because a lot of these characters especially Anthony Michael Hall's character is just despicable like what he does in this movie. And so, it's just some of these people are just so bad. You're like, I, I really don't care. Like, I hope you, I hope you die, and Michael Myers wins. So it's, it's kind of weird when I'm rooting for pure evil to win mm. the day. Um, so yeah, it's 
it really is kind of a non-starter for me. It's not it's not particularly interesting. Um, there are some fun horror stuff, I guess. Some good kills, some very shocking and gruesome kills. I heard the Michael kills Myers are good. Gets, yeah. Michael Myers gets to do some fun stuff, and they do they have a lot of fun with when he has like axes in his hands and stuff like that, and they, they're pretty inventive <laughs> with it, but. It's really, that's all there is. And then he disappears for large swaths in the movie, and you're just with Anthony and Michael Hall, and you're like, wow, this just kind of is a bummer. <laughs> yeah, know? I heard there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's not a lot of screen time either for uh, for Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, she's just in the hospital. She's yeah. just there. And Will Patton's there too. He's somehow survived from the last movie, so he's just there, and they're just chatting it up in their, in their room. And then, no one ever really uh, dies, do they? Yeah, right, exactly. And then um, Laurie Strode talks about how Michael Myers is pure evil, and then the movie's over. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, all right, wait for Halloween Ends to come out. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's it's just not fun. Characters do dumb things. It's just, I don't know. I just don't really see what the point of this was at all. Yeah, So that's tough. Yeah, it's just, uh, and it's, I mean, I guess it was a smart move by them to put it on Peacock. Because I don't really know who has Peacock, um, so <laughs> uh, I guess it was smart for Universal in that sense. But it's just, it's just not very good. I I don't know. I I can't really see myself spending money on the, to see this movie in a theater. It's just it's it really just does not justify its existence whatsoever. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, the first one was pretty well, like not the first one, but the twenty eighteen one. There was it, it was pretty well received, right? And people did enjoy it. And uh, it's just too bad to see it kind of drop off like this, especially with Halloween ends coming whenever it does come i know it's just gonna shoot in january um yeah it's kind of, it, it kind of sucks but it's not like this franchise hasn't had an awful movie before so yeah i mean in the, in the large continuum of halloween movies that there's there's been a lot of terrible ones but, but uh yeah this is just i don't know like they, it just doesn't really seem like they had an idea for a script but they had to make this new wave of halloween movies a trilogy so they just had to buy their time until the next one. So who knows? Hope the next one's fun. There's a, I will say at the beginning of this movie, there's a very fun cameo uh, for film Twitter heads out there at the beginning. Um, it's kind of, it, it's one of those where uh, it's like DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you're pointing at the screen. Mm. It's like, oh, he's, he's here. And it's, it's a fun little, it's a fun little thing. So uh, that was kind of fun. But then after that, it's just, I don't know. It's just people being awful to each other. <laughs> sounds sounds <laughs> great. And then the movie's over. So there you go. Let's get into another movie where uh, people are awful to each other, but it's a much better movie. <laughs> and that is, that's Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, which uh, you haven't seen yet, but you will. Because you, you have must. I'm, I'm going to see it. Okay. Yes. Um, I quite enjoyed this movie. Uh, obviously, uh, out the gate, a lot of the talk was the bad box office performance. But, I mean, you got... Ben Affleck with uh, dyed blonde hair. You got uh, you got a uh, goatee and a mullet with uh, Matt Damon. Uh, <laughs> you got medieval time stuff going on here. So, I mean, I don't think it was destined to draw in big swaths of audiences. Maybe 15 years ago, but not, not now. And that's too bad, but the movie is really good. And I really did enjoy this thing. Um, apparently, it's based on a true story. I don't know how true it is, but... It is based on a true story about uh, the last legal duel in France. Um, you have Adam Driver in this as well, Jodie Comer, who obviously is kind of rising very quickly as a, 
a big name right now. She's phenomenal in this, by the way. And then I'm at Damon and Ben Affleck. That's kind of your main four. Ben Affleck's really more of a side character in this. Um, but you have Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Matt Damon kind of as your lead three. And uh, Matt Damon and Jodie Comer are um, they're, they're newlyweds. They're together. Very, very new. Uh, very new uh, couple. And um, you have a scenario where Jodie Comer does get raped. And um, essentially Matt Damon's going to duel the person that she is uh, claiming raped her. And that's kind of what we got here. Uh, the movie is very interesting in that it splits up its narrative into uh, three parts. So you have uh, the point of view of those three characters, of Matt Damon, Adam Driver, then Jodie Comer. And uh, I think it's definitely for the better in that way. It's definitely very interesting. It keeps things very fresh. Um, you know, it was it, it was a little bit... I'm not going to go too much into spoilers here because it is a movie that I do want uh, people to check out, but there were a few few points where, uh, you know, Ridley, he's really stressing that R rating, and uh, you, could, you could feel it. It gets uncomfortable at times, but um, I quite enjoyed it. I think it was really good, and to me it almost felt like a swan song for Ridley Scott and his medieval epics, and uh, I know he's got a Napoleon movie apparently coming at some point uh, with Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Jodie Comer, but it did feel like something out of 20 years ago and i just had to appreciate that apparently he's doing gladiator 2 i feel like that keeps getting announced like every like two like years and it just sounds yeah. like the worst idea ever i really hope this is his swan song <laughs> yeah i mean gladiator 2, like I, I i won't believe it till i see it you know that's just, that's how i feel about that one um but yeah if this is his swan song it, it was a really good one because uh for me, this is the best he has been in the director's chair for a while, or in a while. I'm a big fan of his, um, but this was definitely top tier in terms of just constructing a narrative and just kind of giving us uh, some really good direction um, on the screen. Also, the battle sequences in here are incredibly gruesome and incredibly potent with that sound design. Very good sound design in this film. Uh, but yeah, Ben Affleck's just having a great time. Like, he... like. I, this is why I said you'll like it. I mean, you're, you're, you're like, I know you will. The moment I left the theater, I was like, Nick's going to like this movie. I hope I'm, you do. I'm here for it. I like it. I um, like Ben Affleck being weird. This is great. Like, just, <laughs> I mean, it may seem a little bit, uh, it may seem a little bit in poor taste to say, but I mean, he's pretty much just a, a drunk uh, royal having fun the whole movie. Like, he, he's really just having a good yeah. time. Uh, there's so many jokes there, but I'm just going to let that lie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's but, come a uh, long way from the way back. <laughs> yeah, they're the same character, just hundreds of years apart. Um, yeah. I, I, have you have you ever heard anything about Gladiator 2? How it's like... I, there was a script that came out a while ago where it was basically uh, Russell Crowe's character fighting in hell or something like that. It was the most absurd thing ever. So um, that's just... I'm also going to leave that lie because that just sounds like the worst thing ever. But yeah, this this movie uh, w really piqued my interest for a while because it was Affleck and Damon coming together to write again for the first time since Good Will Hunting, right? They, have, mm -hmm. they haven't written together since then. And they brought in um, Nicole Hall of Center, who's a writer that I really admire to write the uh, female perspective of this movie to give that probably a little more um, gravitas because, I mean... 
story about it, story about a rape and it's all men writing it. You know, that's probably not. It's probably very in poor taste, right? Especially, especially those men. Movie, let's let's yeah, get some. Yeah, right. Yeah, especially if um, you know, it's showing the multiple perspectives. So, I am very curious to see this because it's yeah, it's kind of like that Rashomon different perspective kind of thing, which I think is really fascinating. And also, I just wish more movies would do that. I feel like that's just a really fun, like even there's like terrible thrillers. Like, do you remember like vantage point? You remember that mm-hmm. movie? Mm-hmm. It's just, or it's basically Rashomon, but there's, there's like a bombing or something like that. Like even that stuff, like I'm like, ah, this is kind of fun. Or it's just like, it's these fun different perspectives that all coming together and you see what, see where all the, all the holes are. I think that's just a really fun story construction. So yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I, I kind of feel bad for this movie, you know, it was like a hundred million dollars and it's just, just tanked hard. I guess this was a, uh, like a, like a Fox movie that, um, Disney didn't really know what to do with. So I guess, they I think, yeah, I think Disney's just, Disney just really biding time until they're done with that Fox slate that they've got from the merger. Like, I think they're, they're close to being done. I think there's maybe one movie left. I know Ron's gone wrong. That came out this weekend's another one of that slate, yeah, but got, I think got antlers next week, right? Yeah. That was a searchlight one. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're just trying to buy time until, you know, that flight's done. They can turn over a new leaf. But, uh, yeah, it's a shame that this didn't pop off. But uh, Jodie Comer is fantastic. And definitely uh, check it out for her performance. I think she was the best part of Free Guy. She brought the charm. Um, She brings the heart to this movie uh, for sure. Um, Now let's get into one that we both saw and probably one of the uh bigger bigger movies to talk about obviously and that is uh daniel craig's swan song to, to the character james bond in uh, no time to die um movie's been out now for three weeks i'd say two little two two plus weeks so we will get into spoilers here for the rest of the podcast um but uh yeah what are your first takeaways here for no time to die yeah i thought it was pretty fun it's it's so funny because after the Sam Mendes movies, uh, with Skyfall and Spectre, which Mendes has that kind of very, he's a very British guy, <laughs> for lack of better words, where it's very reserved, very stoic, um, and like his direction and also um, just how he directs the actors and everything. And then this movie is just kind of batshit insane. Where and I wonder, it's just like it's just it's such an amazing change in direction from Kerry uh, Joji Fukunaga. Where I mean, he's the first American-born uh, filmmaker to do a Bond movie, so I wonder if like that difference in just worldview and maybe changes how Bond looks in this movie. But just where Daniel Craig just just gave just did not care for Spectre and he had that famous thing where he said he'd rather slit his wrists than play Bond again right after that movie came out and he says like two words in that movie and he's just very just stone faced does not want to be there and then in this movie he's he's acting he gets to say words he's <laughs> he really good to, in this. he gets to emote and have a lot of fun um and that's that's it's not that the because Skyfall is probably like I would say one of the best Bond movies, maybe Casino Royale is the up there too. But it's just such a different. It's almost like a different character, honestly. It's just a very. It's just such a different kind of movie. It kind of feels like like some just a big American action movie, but also it just happens to have James Bond in it. You know it's what just, it is? It, it's very different. Yeah. For me, it's it's retired Bond. Like he's retired in this movie, right? And they're calling him back out. I think that's what it is. He's he's chill. He's chilling. He's having a good time. Like he's 
you find him, I mean, obviously the movie starts uh, with him and Leah Sadu and there's uh, an awful thing that happens to him. He sees, he finds people are after him and he has to go away. Then you get like this five year time jump or something like that. And he's just been chilling at a beach somewhere. Like he's just been living. So I, I do think it makes sense for the character overall that he, he kind of does become a little bit more uh, loose in this movie. Also, I feel like it's a good callback to the older Bonds. Um, post Austin Powers, they they took a direction where they wanted to really rebrand Bond into a much more serious character because Austin Powers almost like just ruined the image of of James Bond. But it just really helped. did. Yeah. So it ruined the Roger Moore Moore Bond. Yeah. Yeah. So they yeah. they really they really I think did a good job in that. But I think this movie has a good balance for me in Bond uh, with the old style, you know, cracking those cheesy one liners, and the new style of being kind of a serious figure um for me it made sense with the five film arc for craig um the movie is kind of too big at times like it's it's it almost does feel like a avengers endgame style bond movie right and maybe that works better for it at times maybe it's 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 a detractor at times but i i am higher on this than you i did have quite a good time with it um Ana de Armas's uh, ten-minute part was pretty awesome. I think that was good. Best part of the movie. <laughs> Best part of the movie. Easy. Um, and I, I liked a lot of the action near the end. I like uh, the one sequence up the uh, up the stairway. Kind of looks like a video game almost. I know so many movies in the early 2010s tried to make their action video game style. You remember that phase? Um, the worst. This one actually did it right, in my opinion. It was solid. It was like two minutes long. That's all you need. Just give us a little taste, a little flavor in a two-hour, 45-minute movie. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting, but it's 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 something that I enjoyed. But I did spend the last 12 months before that watching each Bond. So it did for me, it came together nicely, um, despite having to watch all those Roger Moore movies. But it was, uh, it, it was a solid end for me. Yeah, it definitely feels like it was written by 10 different people, right? Because, I mean, this had so many different development changes. Like Danny Boyle was supposed to direct it, and then he left because of creative differences, whatever that means, right? Um, and then uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was brought in to like punch up the script like right before like production started. And then I think there's, what, five or six screenwriters on this movie. So, And it feels like that. There are so many different people. You can probably cut out like three different characters in this and streamline it a little better like there's a there's a character played by billy magnuson where i just like i don't even know why he's in this movie like i like billy magnuson i thought it was really good but it's just like why like what's the point um but yeah it's just it's a massive balls to the wall honestly like uh craig being like if i'm gonna do this again we're just gonna go crazy and do whatever uh and it's it's really really fun in a lot of cho- in a lot of such uh moments i think it definitely hits its peak right around when anna Darmus pops up because that scene is just so much fun it's they're like taking shots in between like gunning people gunning people down and it's just a blast and they're having so much fun together and anna Darmus's character is so fun where she's the trainee yeah, uh, had like a few weeks of practice before coming out into the field, and it's so much. It's just great. And then I thought it was so fun where she's just like, "All right, see you next time, leave." And then it's, I it wonder because you know Bond is owned by Amazon now. If I wonder if they kind of pivot with Bond to do more of kind of like this world building kind of thing. And I mean, if Anna de Armas comes back as a spy, that'd be amazing. I would love to see that. 
But that that sequence is just it's just a blast, and that's just when I feel like the movie is at its best. And then, um, then like there's two more hours left in the movie, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just it's super long. I really enjoyed a lot of it, but it's just like there was just so much of this movie, and then you get more into uh, Remy Malik, who who's who's a, his character name is uh, Lucifer Safin, or he's just he's just just Lucifer Satan. This is his character. <laughs> this is his character name, basically. Um, I just don't care at all what he's doing. But uh, there's just a lot of fun characters, a lot of fun little moments in here that it's just like you kind of take the bad with the good. You know, it's just a really fun, outlandish movie. Right. Um, yeah, I think the Bricoli uh, family that that owns Bond, they're they're gonna keep their foot down against Amazon. It seems they've been somewhat clear in that. Uh, in, in that no bonds movies only and there's no spinoffs they've been saying that since since the merger so i'm interested to see what amazon does they might have to really fork out even more change but um yeah we'll see what happens uh with the future uh, of that side of things uh but yeah no you're right i think that that whole sequence in havana was um it, it was to me it was vintage bond like it felt like the connery days even the roger moore days like the just the cheesiness of it almost but in a Super slick and much better way, um, but yeah, it it, it was fun. That was, that was a fun part of the film, um, and obviously near the end you get that kind of attempt at a big payoff. And for me, I was in and out of it. Am I buying this? Am I not? Um, because Spectre was just so bad. So and, and a lot of the yeah, movie hinges. A lot of the movie hinges on Spectre. They're trying to write themselves out of a corner with Spectre with this movie. And then in the end, I kind of just caved and I said, yeah, I'm buying it and I'm liking it and whatever. Kill him off in the end. It looks great. It's amazing. Tear cry moment. But uh, I don't know. How do you feel about that first Bond to get killed off? Yeah, it's – I feel like that's definitely like a dick swinging thing by Craig being like, I'm going to be the first Bond that dies. You know, if, I, if I'm going to make – if you're going to make me come back and do another movie. Um, it's weird because I think I was like a little emotional, right? Because – I really like Craig as this character, and it's it's and it's been what twenty years, seventeen years. When was Casino Royale? Two thousand four, two thousand six. Oh six, oh six. Yeah, so it's fifteen years. Uh, I just I like Daniel Craig, and it's sad to see him go from that sense. But also, I just do not care about him and Madeline Swan's relationship <laughs> at all. Like I love Leah Saidu. She's honestly one of my favorite actresses. I love her every time she shows up. But like her and Craig just have no chemistry together, personally. And yeah, I I liked her a lot more in this movie than Spectre, personally. Yeah, me too. It's just weird because, like in Skyfall, there's the the sexy shaving scene between Craig and uh, Naomi Harris, Money Penny, and it's like it's, like it was so clearly setting up for them to be a thing with all like the playful like like back and forth they had. So it's like why why not just make her the the girl. You know, like I felt like that would have been so much fun, and then you have Naomi Harris doing more than just kind of just being the secretary. Um, I just never really understood that choice, but I guess you kind of had to make you had to make Spectre happen somehow, right? So I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, but it's tough. yeah, it's yeah, it's just I feel like a lot of this, a lot of like the issues with this movie, it kind of like are, are really like you said wrapped up in just how boring Spectre is, which is just such a bummer because it's it's james bond against the illuminati like how do you make that boring but you did somehow it's, I guess, yeah with christoph waltz as well like how do you, yeah how do you it's like him? he's he's like begging to chew the scenery and be insane as blofeld and you just don't really give him that chance it's just so it's just so weird but yeah i would have loved to see them pivot towards money penny being more important but 
with what we got, I mean, warts and all, it's just it's just a fun time. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think movies in general need to need to chill with nanobot technology in their <laughs> movies. <laughs> like that's something I'm putting my foot down against where it's never fun and it's just a plot contrivance to get us from A to B in these big action movies. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. But yeah, the ending I think works just because I care about Craig as Bond, you know, and it really is more than him saying goodbye to, you know, his his girlfriend and also his child, which I guess is another thing we should talk about. But um, more than saying goodbye to them, it's really like us, the audience, saying goodbye to Craig in that moment as this character. Yeah. So no, for that's sure. how that's why I got emotional about it. For sure. Uh, the child part, I think uh, it worked for me. I think it was weird at the start, but it, it worked. I think it you needed it too just for the ending and the powerful impact in the end. Um, maybe it was a, a kind of a sucker punch, but... I don't know. I think it worked. And especially with his character, he's the first Bond to really be a character instead of a cartoon, like in this whole kind of 25 film yeah. franchise. And I think it did work in that way. Yeah, it's definitely it's so manipulative. It's, it's like him talking to his girlfriend and kid as he's about to die. And it's it's so emotionally overblown. Like it's it's really begging you to cry at it. And, like you know, like I'm not made of stone. Like I was like, God damn, this kind of sucks. This is I feel bad. Um but yeah, it's. I feel like you're right. Where it's Bond has always been kind of just action man who likes to have sex with women, and then Craig was one of the few times where they started to interrogate like that kind of masculinity and like his relationship to to Britain and all that stuff. And I think um, I feel like it makes sense in the end, right? Where it's well, has he ever had a child before? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Right, this is the nope. first time for that too. Um, yep. I feel like that it does make sense to explore that a little more. Like this hardened dude who just just cannot find the right girl. Just girl problems at all times. Um, just he has he has mommy issues with M and Judy Dench, and then all all types of all types of woman problems. So I admire that this like that these movies tried to interrogate that a little bit. Uh, not I'm curious to see if they continue with that for whenever Bond comes back because James Bond will return as the yep. credits said. Yep. So he will. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, though. And uh, that, that will be all for this week's episode of the Movie Bubble Podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Nick. It was great to chat about all things Dune, uh, Bond, not really so much Halloween Kills, uh, but <laughs> everything else, very fun. Uh, we'll be back next week with The Last Night in Soho, Antlers, and the nationwide expansion of the French Dispatch. Yeah, we got to talk more about Dune, though. I yeah. feel like Dune is going to be in our lives for a really long time. we got to talk more about it and get into spoilers whenever Colin gets back. We will. We will, for sure. Uh, as always, though, you can check out our content on uh, our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. And then, uh, most important, most importantly, the uh, moviebabble.com.